Hello, everyone. A very quick one from me. It would be a massive help to us with our ambition to help as many recruiters as possible achieve their goals and also inspire the next generation to choose recruitment as a career if you hit that follow and subscribe button. If you're someone that prefers to learn in a visual way, we've also recently invested a lot in our video podcast experience. So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Hisham Azuz. And on this week's episode, I was joined by Charlotte Flood. We finally had someone from Australia back on the pod. It's been a while. And this was a great conversation. For the last 10 plus years, Charlotte has been building a fantastic reputation in the PR and communication space. So in this conversation, we speak about her journey in transitioning to selling retained solutions, what exactly that involves and how that works and how she got much better at pitching and successfully selling that solution, as well as something that's really important to Charlotte, and that is building a family that she's proud of whilst building her career in recruitment. And we talk about how she's been able to do both, how she's been able to be on track to do her best year yet, which will be around 700 grand, whilst working three and a half days. So we definitely talk about prioritization, time management, productivity, and a whole lot more. Enjoy this week's episode. Charlotte, welcome to the podcast. Hello, how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. It's all good. From sunny Sydney. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I haven't, also saying to Ryan, I haven't had, you know, someone from, you know, your part of the world for a little while. A lot of people that do listen to the podcast are based in Australia. So I'm really excited for this conversation. I guess what I always like to do for people listening is just give them all some immediate context on who you are, the journey that you're on. And if I miss anything in terms of like, you know, the the key highlights, please correct me. But Charlotte, you've been, you know, in recruitment for over 10 years and you've really, you know, consistently built a network and served the, the PR and communications industry. I think for most of the time you've been doing permanent recruitment, but there's been elements where you've done some contract, but predominantly it's been perm. I know you're, you know, a a proud mother who, you know, you're building your family unit whilst building your career. So you're the mother of two and that's all happened whilst you've built your recruitment career. And obviously over the last 12 months, just over 12 months, you joined a business called Creative Natives after working for your previous business for nearly 10 years. And Obviously, we can't say exactly because I don't know if it's at the end of the year, but I'm pretty sure you're on track to have your best year yet. Yeah, that's right. Hope so. Hope so anyway. Excited. But yeah, yeah, looking like it. Yeah. <laughs> so amazing. So look, where I always like to start, Charlotte, is I'd love to sort of hear your perspective on what you believe are the common characteristics and traits that current top performers in today's market have in common. Yeah, I guess for me, it's all about being really values led and true to yourself, authentic, and really giving a damn about 
what you're doing and why you're doing it. I think sometimes can be missed in recruitment is that, you know, you might see a job and a candidate and want to place them and then you kind of move on and you don't realise the actual impact you're having on someone's whole life. You know, you've got their career in your hands, which then impacts their day-to-day life, their home life, their families, their ongoing future. So I think, you know, and then, you know, in turn, their kind of mental health aspect as well. So I think taking a step back sometimes as a recruiter and really focusing on that and understanding that and having that level of emotional intelligence is really, really important. Obviously, for me, to be a really good recruiter, I think you need to be really good at like prioritising and just kind of really setting things out for the day, but also being compassionate and honest and managing expectations around that as well. And also being curious, you know, I think asking questions mm. is really imperative, organised, really driven. And then also, you know, we, I am competitive. I'm not competitive against, you know, my team or you know anything like that or against individuals, but I think inwardly competitive. I don't think there are any recruiters out there who you know, good recruiters that have done really well that can say that they're not competitive. I think that's just something that's Mm. innate in a recruiter and a good recruiter anyway. And then I think, you know, certainly something that I've experienced is to have like, you know, you you do grow a bit of a thick skin, you know, it's important not to take yourself too seriously. You know, you are going to experience knockbacks and days where it just all goes to shit. And, you know, you've just got to be able to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and get on with it. It's all about that for me. Yeah, loads there, right? Prioritisation, mindset resilience we're yeah. definitely going to go into the prioritization piece because I, I found that really interesting when we prepared for this i guess let's just get straight into it what i was just really keen to find out from you and understand is you've been doing your market for a long time right so i guess where i just wanted to to start was i'd love to get your perspective on how has charlotte made sure that she doesn't get complacent Because I really feel like, you know, when you've done a certain industry for a long time, you've been doing it for well over a decade, you work for one business for nearly 10 years. So, you know, complacency can creep in. You have your clients, they give you the great jobs, you have the people that you speak to. Not saying that, you know, it's still not hard, but complacency can definitely creep in. So how have you, you mentioned competitiveness there, but how have you continued over the the years to really make sure that, you know, you continue to keep trying to improve, keep trying to get better and not get complacent because you've done the, the same market for so long. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the market itself, like the PR and comms market is really varied. So for me, it's been quite difficult to ever feel complacent in it because I wear so many hats on so many different days, you know, like I could be in speaking to the MD of a financial PR agency and then equally going the other end of the spectrum and going in to see a fashion PR agency. So I think it really keeps me on my toes and I, I find it really interesting and I have to learn new things every single day. And I do keep on top of, you know, what's happening, what my clients are doing, their award-winning campaigns and things like that. I do understand where you're coming from though. And I think since making the move to Creative Natives, I think there's any complacency that I may have been feeling along the way, you know, the back end of my my last role has completely vanished. You know, I think it's <laughs> it's a fresh perspective. We do things very differently. We've got a lot a lot of great tools here. The team's really engaged, and yeah, I I don't I've never really thought about getting complacent in in the market that I'm in, and I, I've never really felt that that way because I do feel like mm. I. I am challenged and we do challenge ourselves on a day-to-day basis and it's a very busy desk. I don't think there's been much time for complacency, <laughs> to be honest. No, I love it. Okay, cool. So would you mind just sharing, because I think this would be helpful for people before we go into the, the sort of granular details here. 
I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously in the last 12 months, not entirely for the whole year, but over the last seven or eight months, have you been on a journey where you've been working a lot more on like a retained basis with your clients and customers? That's right. Yeah. I'd say we brought in, we're working in much more of a retained model for the last yeah, nine to 10 months now, which is, which has been yeah. great. We'll definitely get into that, but I just wanted to make sure that I understood that and clarified that. I guess one of the things that when we prepared for this, that I found really interesting, just to sort of just go really grand in here really, really quickly was you shared with me how like right now you, you work three and a half days or four days. I work three and a half days, yeah. We're on track to have our, our best year yet, which is what, around 700 something, right? Yeah, yeah, around that I should I should expect, hopefully. And obviously the best year before that, I think you said was just under 600. Yeah, probably around the five, 550 mark, yeah. So I guess what I just wanted to, you know, get your perspective on was what do you think, because you told me that you got really good at just basically saying like no prioritising, being like really on it because, you know, Charlotte has to do this to school run at whatever time you have to you know you have to leave the office you have you know really protected time with your family on Fridays so I guess I just wanted to start the conversation of if you were to look at like your earlier career or as you were you know climbing the ranks and, and building your brand and market what do you think in hindsight Charlotte probably said yes to or found yourself working on and the way that you're working that now you probably wouldn't. So like what things now would you say no to that maybe, you know, as, as you were early on, you'd say yes to and you would do that maybe, yeah, resulted in you not being as efficient, not being as like, you know, proper on it because of your time. And then, yeah, we'll go into like how you do it now. But I, I just thought I'd start there because a lot of people listen to this, you know, building their career and sometimes you have to, you know, go on a bit of a contingent goose chase. You have to learn things the hard way. But looking back, what do you think you probably said yeah, yes to and allowed compared to what you wouldn't allow now, if you get what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think I probably fell into the trap. I'm a bit of a people pleaser. Like I like to help people. Mm. So I probably would have fallen into the trap for sure of basically just trying to help any single candidate that came across my desk because I thought, <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, you know, they might not have even been relevant for my space and and just, you know, and trying to engage with them on some level, whether that be a quick phone call or an email or whatever that may be. And then equally you know which which isn't it's just not time efficient like you just can't do that and it's also not managing their expectations either you know if I if I can't help somebody now I have like because I'm so t- probably time poor to a certain extent I have like canned responses in my emails so I do respond mm. to everyone that comes through to me for a role or, or whatever that may be but that, but I can point them in the right direction or I'll give them like an immediate response so that I feel like I can park that and move on to like important tasks and equally I would have definitely picked up rubbish briefs because I just would have been like, oh yeah, I'll work that. That's absolutely fine. You know, and you look back and you think, oh my goodness, what, what did I do that for? Or there was no information mm. there and, you know, no solid brief, didn't agree with the values of the business or anything like that, you know, and how am I ever going to get anyone to work there? And then that's detrimental to, to everyone involved. So mm. yeah, for sure. So talk to me about rubbish briefs because I think we can all <laughs> learn from that. Like what, what did rubbish briefs look like? Was it you were just an order taken, you're like, yep, yep, no problem. Yep, salary's like nowhere near what it should be, but yeah, no problem, could do that. What did a rubbish brief 
look like? Oh, don't get me wrong. I still get the old one-line emails, you know, <laughs> sent to me and I push back on them now. You know what I mean? I, I can't do that and I, I'm happy to. But yeah, I guess, yeah, just, you know, oh, I'm looking for an account manager for my business. And like, what are you meant to do with that? That's no information whatsoever. And then also mm. equally, if you do get them on the phone and they're not willing to share any information with you, you know, on what's expected in the role, the background of the talent, whether they think outside the box, whether they've got an EVP in place, like you want to be asking those kind of questions, you know, and you want responses mm. to that because my market is so talent tight that if I get a great talent, I can, you know, I can phone a number of agencies who will then want to interview them. And if I get a rubbish brief, there's just nothing I can do with that. Like it just, there has to mm. be depth in my briefs. So do you think, is there any advice that you could share for someone that, you know, is in the first couple of years of their career? And, you know, it can be hard sometimes to really lean into that being a consultant and not being an order taker because, you know, you continue to build your confidence, you continue to build your track record. So sometimes you can just feel really grateful that they're giving you that job or you've got that opportunity, but maybe deep down you're like, this is going to be really difficult, but how do I sort of advise them that, you know, this isn't realistic, this is uh, going to be really difficult. And I think sometimes as you get more and more experience, that become, you're like more comfortable to do that. Is there anything that you can share that maybe you would have, you know, given yourself advice on to help you have less poor briefs or like, would you approach it a bit differently? Anything to share there? Yeah, I would say like, you know, if, if a client's going to engage with you, you then want to book in like a proper time slot with them. So you want to have a video mm. call or in-person meet. I think that's imperative. And then feel free. Like I still will sometimes have like mini scripts that, you know, that of certain questions that I want to ask a client. Like, I think it's really important, especially when you're starting off to almost have that script and just be mm. like, these are the questions I'm going to ask and put some curveballs in there as well. And if the client isn't able to ask all them, then I would question why again mm. and then also I'd, I'd feed back to your client and say it's brilliant to take this brief really appreciate the business but you know I'm going to struggle x y and z in these kind of areas the market's really competitive it would be great to go a bit more in depth you know have a proper JD have your EV EVP can you look at like you know part-time work increased flexibility for this like what's going to sell you what's your culture like why do you like working there because my candidates got a multitude of areas that they can go into and why would they choose you above you know your competition and I think also just from that part as well like don't be afraid to phone your clients and keep in contact with them like through the resourcing part of it as well and give them a call or drop them an email saying where you might be finding it problematic and give them feedback on, on what candidates are saying about the brief in the market as well so I think that's really important it's hard like I get it it's you know when you're starting off in recruitment it does take a lot to be able to have those conversations but I think it's really important for you moving forward to be able to try to do that no I think that, that's really helpful and um, sort of the sort of thing I was hoping you'd share I guess I'd be it'd be rude not to ask obviously I don't want to know you know, all the questions on the script but what would be Charlotte's non-negotiables so like if you know we're starting this like the absolute must questions you have to ask if you was helping someone in your team now these are the non-negotiables that you have to ask for you that you think are the most important what would they be do you think before we go right back to the conversation I wanted to take a moment to tell you about one of our podcast partners one up sales so let's talk about getting the most from your existing recruitment consultants. It's not always about expanding the team, especially now, but maximizing the potential of those already with you. And that's precisely what One Up Sales, our podcast sponsor, can help you do. 
Their robust sales performance management platform offers a unique blend of transparency, competition, and motivation. They help you to identify the areas your consultants excel in and those where they could use a boost. With personalized targets, real-time performance tracking, and engaging rewards, your team will be motivated to achieve more and more. With 1UP Sales, you're not just supervising your consultants, you're fueling their ambition. So why settle for good when you can get 1UP and be great? Because you listen to this podcast, you get a unique offer, which is 10% off each user on the platform. Use the link in the show notes to get your hands on that offer to check out 1UP Sales so it can help you get more out of your current team. Now let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you'd want to know what the role and responsibility looks like, what the structure of the business looks like, what type of person works well in the business, why that person, the hiring manager works there. You know, everyone's got a pros and cons list when they're about to join somewhere. You know, you can ask questions like, what was on your cons list? What was on your pros list? What they do differently to their competition? You know, what? who are their clients? You know, what stands out to them in the market? Who are their competitors? You know, where, where they benchmark themselves. And then the EVP bit, for me and for us as a business is massive, you know, like we want to know, you know, what you're doing in terms of training and development, what you're doing in terms of holiday entitlement, parental leave, working with charity partners and whether you support return to work parents in your workforce, whether you consider increased flexibility, all of that's really important too. Mm. Yeah, no, some great, great things. And obviously if you do, the thing is, right, if you get all of that right and you get all of that information, it's just going to hugely increase the hopefully chances of you being successful right and and helping that business and if they're not willing to give you that information or it's very high level and they're not willing to give you the time to go through it it's probably a job that you don't want to be working or a client that you want to consider saying no to look you know I have to work this way yeah maybe we can't work this way or like that yeah we need to have that information right Yeah, I think like the whole thing is about being honest and, you know, having that level of trust and you want to build those kind of relationships that you can look back on and go, look, this is where we started and this is where we've got to. And I know your business inside out. And we don't Mm -hmm. often ask the salary question when we're picking up briefs either, because I suppose when I've been doing it a while, as you know, like I can tell a client what the market rate is for for that role. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I'd hope people would be able to get to that stage too, as well, rather than having to be dictated by a salary bracket. Yeah, for sure. Talk to me then about like, how have you become, how have you got really good at just being very like focused, diligent with your time? What do you now do that's, that's maybe a bit different compared to, you know, maybe five, six years ago or whatever? Cause I think we spoke about it, right? There is a lot of power when, if you have to get a certain task done by a certain time, there's just more chance that you're going to get it done because there's a certain time rather than knowing that, oh, I can I can stay later or I'll just stay a bit later. So yeah, I'll, I'll get it done and then it can sort of get pushed and it can roll over. So how do you now, you know, people always interested in this stuff, Charlotte, like how do you now set up your days? You know, you're working three and a half days a week. How do you now set up your days to really ensure maximum output and efficiency? We want to know the day plan and how you prioritize things. Yeah, yeah. I I guess for me, like I often get into the office and I feel like I've done a full day at work anyway. But um, (laughs) um, but yeah, no. I think for me, it's like you know, you've got to start your day with really clear goals and clear objectives. And I think we mentioned this on on the catch up. Like I have a to do list every day, 
and I can't not do what's on my to-do list. Do you know what I mean? I've got a finite amount of time. I need to get it done because I need to leave it at a certain time. That's just how I do it. You know, I've got to set boundaries around my work as well and my family life. It's That's really important to me. So I think, you know, having those lists, knowing exactly my time frame for the day is really vital. And then, you know, as I say, prioritize what you've got going on in the day and, and tick things off, review it at the end of the day. And I, as I say, yeah, just just get it done. Yeah, so it's just it's just become a non-negotiable for you to get yeah, to get things absolutely, done. absolutely. Okay, do you think working more on like a retained basis has helped with you being really efficient and making sure that the time that you are putting in in certain areas, you know that you know you're going to get paid for, or there's a yeah. much higher chance of you being paid for? Yeah, absolutely. And I time block a lot as well, so I will time block my day. And so if I've got candidate calls to make or client calls to make, I actually will diarize that and I'll send my candidates the invite as well mm. because otherwise you know you always say oh I'll call you I'll call you on Tuesday and then gets to the end of the day you're like oh no I haven't called that candidate back and I must do that so yeah. I actually make sure I do that and yes working in a retained ma- manner as well like I do block off my days that I'm in the office or at home working to working on my mm. retainer roles as well and then obviously try and turn off notifications on anything else that's going on whether that be slack or my phone etc as well mm. and just make sure I haven't got those kind of um th- those disturbances as well yeah so easy to be distracted and um... so easy so easy I mean I don't turn off my calls from daycare though like I do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't do that I cannot do that no way yeah Let's just segue into talking about retainer. I think for a lot of people listening to this, they're always interested to learn and understand how other recruiters navigate and approach business development, how do they get more out of it, what's working for them. So let's just focus on on this for a little bit. So correct me if I'm wrong, before Creative Natives, how much like retain work did you do? Barely anything, nothing. Yeah, so, let, so let's just talk about that for a second, because a lot of people, so firstly, when I, when I speak to recruiters that are going on that journey, oftentimes one of the biggest barriers can be their mindset, because yeah. Charlotte's got so much evidence of you've always worked a certain way, and you know, you've know you got the job done, you've done it. So by me then saying, let's now work with this way, you know, that's unnatural for you to do that. And it's like, mm. well, what happens if you know I don't feel the job and these things? So what were some of the initial self-limiting beliefs or the mindset element that you was maybe coming up against wrestling with before you then got consistently good at you know selling and selling this solution so what were some of the initial barriers I think as you say just thinking well actually like I've been working in this way in a contingent and exclusive manner before and it's been fine it's been good to a point and then also coming back to what I said earlier about being a bit of a people pleaser I was like well what am I going to do if if, you know x client calls me and then they don't want to work retained and then I'm letting them down and Mm. I can't feel that role and then somebody else is going to get it and this that and the other but I think it's just having you know that courage and conviction to know that the service offering that we're providing is so much more consultative and it's going to reap so Mm. many rewards for the client the candidate and yourself that it's just it's just been a no-brainer for us really but yeah I mean yeah don't get me wrong initially I was like oh gosh how's this going to (laughs) work well how are my clients Mm. going to feel about this you know yeah. So let, would you mind if we just break this down a bit then? Because I sure. think this would be helpful for people. So like, how have you approached, I'm sure it's like evolved and you'll continue to refine it and improve it. Sure. But like, what does this sales process, what does this process look like in terms of if, you know, we are talking about working with each other on a retained basis, how do we go about doing that in terms of from firstly, from the sales process? Has that been any different? Are you having a call with me and then we're deciding if you know what, from what I've learned on this call today, 
I think I want to talk to you about our retained solution because I think that's going to be best suited. So let's book in time to go through what our retained solution consists of. And I'm going to put a presentation together for this hiring project. I'm going to walk you through it, et cetera, et cetera. You can tell me, but like, what does this sales process look like? And does it look any different to, you know, sell this solution? Yeah, absolutely. It does look different. And I think you kind of know on a client call whether you you want to work the role retained anyway, because Mm. we'll get to the end of the call and I'll know that I can I want to pitch retain for this particular role and then I would talk to the client around it you know give them the understanding and the um it it probably will likely be a kind of a client that I've worked with for a period of time as well to be honest so it is new you know they're, they're not a new client to me but it's a new way of working with them so it's all about kind of framing it I guess to say this is how we've been working more recently and it's having just a a magnificent result for our clients and we've filled every single role in doing so this is our model you know the way we work is so much more consultative we basically works very very closely with you we produce an amazing video for you which goes across all of our socials we've got a fantastic in-house videographer who works for us at creative natives and she pulls Mm. together a video that's obviously signed off by the client and then it goes across the whole team will share that so it gets millions of views across our linkedin and our socials so that in itself is a massive draw card for the client it's part of the process you know, I explained mm. to them that as part of the process, they get so much more visibility of who we're going to in the market, who we're speaking to. We'll have like a long list and a short list that we will share with them, you know, of all the candidates that we've tapped up for the role and spoken to, where they've come from. We have them on a spreadsheet. So it's like who they are, their LinkedIn profile, where they're currently working, whether we've engaged with them or heard back from them and what they've said about the role. And we'll say to the client, you know, we'll give you feedback on your job description. We'll tell you what the client's candidates are saying about you in the market we have a regular check-in with you every kind of seven to ten days so that we go through on a video call or a quick phone call whatever's best for you and we run through you know where we're at with the role so we don't just kind of leave you high and dry we've got regular check-ins and then we actually Mm. as a business have got these amazing templates that we will then showcase the top five to however many candidates that would be on the on the shortlist to the client in those calls which is great and again kind of then go through the money bit of it saying that it's a retained model it's no extra cost to you it's x amount from the you know which is then deducted mm. from the final fee and then we the good yeah. thing is we have an amazing in-house marketing manager here as well and she's um generated some amazing kind of flyers and infographics and things around our retained model and how it sits compared to the contingent and the exclusive model. So you can actually see the differences, you know, they're kind of ticked in green and, you know, all of that, which looks amazing. So again, we'd follow up the call with it all spelled out to the client. So everything's in the body of the email and then the the flyers are like attached and then we'll give like examples of like other videos that we've done for other clients and how that's worked. All right, cool. Right. That's really, really helpful. I was hoping you'd share some of those things. So we've spoken there about, obviously I asked you around the sales process. So it sounds like, it sounds like you're having, you know, the job briefing calls that we spoke about earlier Mm. and dependent on what you learn on that call, the client and these things is then going to determine if this is something that you're going to, you know, pitch for retained. Yes. Then obviously you then can segue into, look, we've been working this way. However, this is another way for us to be working. This is our track record and these things. I guess just quickly on that, how did Charlotte navigate that when you didn't have a track record? You obviously had a track record in your industry, but do you get what I mean? Like it's so yeah. much easier. Firstly, if you're listening to this and you're not using your track record and your testimonies and your case studies to close new clients, you're missing a trick and a lot of recruiters don't. They still very much just rely on like 
believe me, I can get this job done for you. I'm the best place person to do it rather than, you know, having your success uh, story taught for you. But like how uh, in those first initial approaches, how did you find it when you couldn't lean on? We've got, look, we've done these amazing videos for ex clients like you. We've got this success. How did you navigate that? Just curious. Yeah, it's a good question. I think we just wanted, we went out to like clients that we potentially hadn't worked with before and just said this is mm. our way of working and then right. we we then reap the, re the results through that and then you know so we didn't say yes of course this is this, this is our statistics this is what we're doing and then we moved on to clients that we did have a very good relationship with, with and yeah. said this is our way of working right now let's combine and let's do this together mm. And I guess the thinking there is, it's just, it would have been harder to go to the existing people because they've got been used to working a certain way. Exactly. Whereas, you know, a new person, oh, this is how Creative Native works. That's like their perception. Okay. So just quickly then, just to tie this bit together. Sure. Because you mentioned a few different things there. You mentioned really like the idea around the sort of video job spec or the video story around the employer. I really like that. I think that's a, that's a great idea and what a unique asset to be able to go to the market with. Yeah. Whilst also hopefully giving potential employees just even more insight into what it might be like to work there, which can often be really difficult to truly understand in the interview processes and these things, right? So absolutely love that. Obviously, you mentioned checking calls, you mentioned like a spreadsheet of visibility of you know, what people are doing. So just to help us out then, you're just talking about there your asset of this is what our contingent service looks like, this is what our retained service looks like. If me and you decide to start working with each other, because I have, you know, free PR director roles that I want you to work with me, and you know, I start working on a retained basis. So what are the fundamental core elements of that process then that makes it more consultative? Could you just, just so I understand that. So is it, okay, from this point, every week we're going to get, a, we're going to have a check-in call. We're going to get this, this, and this. Would you mind just breaking that down? Because I think that'd be really helpful for people. We'll get right back into the conversation in a moment. But before we do, I wanted to tell you about one of our longtime podcast partners, Vincere. So ask yourself this, is your team feeling the effects of manual data entry and outdated processes? Relegate repetitive and monotonous tasks to Vincere, your all-in-one recruitment operating system. Imagine a few extra hands helping you sift through the busy work day in, day out. That's the benefit of Vincere's automation tools and features. From interview scheduling, automated templates, CV formatting, reporting and more. You're going to reduce error rates, streamline compliance and accelerate return on investment. It works like magic. And the best part, you keep morale high and productivity goes through the roof. Today's episode is kindly sponsored by Vincere, the top rated recruitment software by TrustRadius in 2023. You get an exclusive offer for listening to this podcast, which is 10% off the user price. Reach out to the team and arrange a quick demo or use a link in the show notes to book an exploratory call and get your hands on that exclusive offer and start using great tools within their all-in-one platform like automation. Yeah, absolutely. So no, we diarize like it would be, it'd be your call. So you'd say, yep, Charlotte, I'd love to check in on three o'clock every every Monday morning to see where you're at with the role. So we diarize that. And then I give you a call every Monday to say, okay, listen, this is where we're up to the video that we, we run like a two week video campaign, which to be honest, does actually can go further than that as well. So we'll say, you mm -hmm. know, the video came out last week, it's had X amount of views across the business, we'll bring those stats into it as well, which is really mm -hmm. good. Clients love that to know how many eyeballs have actually been on it. 
And then we'll say, okay, we'll share our screen. We'll run through like a document with you and say, okay, we've reached out to 65 people. Here they are. And we'll leave you with that. That's your own document to have as well after the call. And then we'll obviously continue to keep adding and amending that. It's a Google Doc. We'll run through who we've already got on the short list and then the long list. And then depending on when... So so for me in PR, it's a little bit different because if I get a good candidate, I'm more likely to send their profile over with a synopsis straight away to my client because it moves pretty fast, which I suppose like that just is how I have to, to work on them. But ultimately, what you want to be doing is getting a short list of, you know, three to five people that you then show would showcase to you and let you know basically mm. in a visual form as well run through their backgrounds and why they would be potentially good for the role and things like that so it's very visual but it just is so much mm. more consultative we get your feedback you get ours we tell you maybe tweaks that you might need to make on the jd why people are saying that they're interested in the role why they're not what their feedback's mm. been in market so you just don't get that in an exclusive or a contingent yeah. model yeah, so interesting, the visibility piece, isn't it? Like how mm. powerful that is, just yeah. being able to, because a lot of those things, let's be honest, you would have been doing those things, but it was just internal to you. And like, yeah. you would know all that information rather than the client. Yeah. So it is, it is interesting, right? Just by flipping that on its head and just giving them as, you know, as much visibility as possible, really showcasing the work that you're doing. You've got those weekly check-ins, they're bought into it, you're bought into it. Yeah. You're advising on, look, this is what we keep running into do you think we should maybe consider tweaking this, changing that? And then you said there's something that's really interesting. And then like this data that you're then curating and collating, they then keep. Is that right? Yeah. So basically it's like a live document, you know, so we will continue to work it and they will be able to see mm. the amends being made and we can send it or we can send a new document before each catch up, whatever works best for them. It's all about accountability, isn't it really? At the end of the day, like you're just that retained piece just makes everyone so much more accountable for filling that role and getting it done. I guess part of that so as well is like, look, I'm going to help you get this person that you need. But also in the medium term, long term, I'm also helping you build a bit of a talent pool here. Or you're also going to be left with like a whole community of people that have heard about your business, heard about your story that maybe they can tap into in the future. Right. So just curious then, what's ended up being like... How do I say this? What's ended up being your capacity out of interest? Like, well, I know it varies, but like, have you had to learn the hard way of like, how many is too many retained searches on the go at one point? Like what's ended up being, I know every market's different, but people might be interested. In, okay, if I work that way, then how many other jobs could I be working? Because that's the nice thing about contingent, I guess, is like if I get one or two free candidates that, you know, is the right type of skill set for these five different companies and these five different jobs that are hiring, I can get them into all of those. So how have you found that out of interest in terms of the capacity and how many jobs you can work this way? Yeah, it's, it, that's a really good question because I think that was a little bit overwhelming at the start as well. You know, yeah. that is probably a mindset piece as well. So at the moment, for example, I'm working, I think, four or five retained roles and the rest yeah. will be contingent and exclusive roles to us. So, yeah. And, and again, for me, I work three and a half days. Do you know what I mean? I have the capacity when it comes <laughs> yeah. to retained, you know. So, yeah, I think that's, mm. a, that's a pretty sweet spot for me at the moment, maybe around that kind of four to five mark. Mm. And then obviously... It is tricky when it sometimes when a when a client of yours because our clients do call us now and say, how can we get a video out on LinkedIn? Like, what are you doing for those right. guys that you we want a piece of that as well? And then being having to say, well, listen, I'm at capacity at the moment, but as soon as that role's filled, I'll take you on as a, a retainer. Mm. But I can also in the background, you know, help you look for somebody too. So, yeah, yeah, okay, no, I love that. So look, gone, you know, really granular on 
job briefings, <laughs> retained, which has been pretty fundamental in, in your journey so far. I guess let, let's talk about something that's absolutely so important to you in your life, which is family. Why don't we start with a conversation, like just curious, what was your experience of going into work knowing that you're going to have to tell your manager that you're pregnant with your first child? Because, you know, I can only speak to my partner and get that perspective, which <laughs> I know like she'd be shit scared to do. Like she takes her career seriously. <laughs> yeah. Like, and you know, from the things that I just see online that I consume, I can only imagine how daunting that is because you might be thinking what's going to happen. Am I just going to be forgotten about? Is all my hard work just going to be, you know, like all the hard work I put into my career, is that just going to go to grind and stop? So I don't know, why don't we just start the conversation there? Like what was your mindset going into like that initial period of your life? Because I assume it can be quite daunting. Yeah, it can be. Like it is a funny stage to be in. And I was really lucky in my old business. I was really well supported with that conversation. You know, I had the conversation fairly early on and I was really well supported as a business. And in that role as well on the PR and comms desk, I worked in tandem with another person on the desk. So for me, it wasn't so much a worry. It was probably more a worry that I was leaving. I was so much work, you know, on her desk while I was away. So no, it was concerning in as much as how am I going to make this work when I come back? Do you know what I mean? Because ultimately that's, that was more important. I wanted to go off and really enjoy my maternity leave because that leave can go so quickly and, you know, you want to just be in the right mindset to enjoy it. But yeah, ultimately when that conversation had, had, had happened, I was well supported through the business and came back in a part-time capacity then as well, actually. So I think I worked four days then. So how long, how long did you have off? I had just a year, just under a year for the, for the first maternity leave. Year. Yeah. Okay. So what was the strategy coming back then? Like when you were starting to come back? So because a year is a a long time to be away from like recruitment, your recruitment desk or these things, a lot can change, right? So I understand why that maybe you'd be thinking more about that. How is it going to work when I get back? This is going to be, you know, have now another human being to be taken care of while I don't just have my career and myself and my partner to think about. So talk to us a bit about, yeah, so what was the approach coming back then? You mentioned there part-time, but what did a normal working week look like when Charlotte had a firstborn then yeah <laughs> yeah it was pretty hectic to begin with I remember I used to have to walk miles to daycare because we didn't have two cars at the time I get into really? work a bit yeah I get into work a bit flustered and then obviously like my hours were a little bit reduced as well so I'd work I think 9 nine thirty till about 4 four thirty, and then do pick up as well I mean I was super fit mm. but um because <laughs> mm. of all the walking but um but yeah no I I, I tried again just just try and set boundaries you know like as we said like my home life's really important to me so I knew I wanted to come back in a part-time capacity but also then not take too much away from this market and the base that I built up for myself you know it's something that I'm really proud of and I wanted to come back Mm. and give it my all because there's ultimately other people now relying on me as well so fortunately I was in a good position because my colleague had been keeping things ticking over for me so I guess it was all about that re-engagement piece with my clients and my candidates so coming back in, reaching back out to them, getting meetings, you know, it's actually quite a nice soft in because you've got that, you know, you've got that story to tell and you can pick up a phone and speak to somebody after a year and it's, they want to hear from you because they want to hear how you've been doing. So it was actually quite Mm. a nice in. So yeah, that's kind of how I started off flustered and making phone calls. (laughs) And what, what was, what was most challenging about that first time that maybe you least expected? I think probably the feeling of the vulnerability, like I didn't, you know, that whole, whole imposter syndrome, like coming back after being a mum and just solely focusing on that for, for a year, basically. Like, 
what am I going to talk about? You know, like, what <laughs> have I forgotten everything? Like, you know what I mean? I don't even know how to use a laptop. Like, I can't even remember, you know, <laughs> I had a coffee that morning. That kind of stuff, I think, really hit me quite hard. And then also, mm. like, just I really missed my little one terribly as I was well. Say, yeah, start, what about it was, that? Yeah. it was hard. Like, it is a big adjustment. I can, you know, you're constantly checking your phone to check that they're getting on all right daycare you know you're basically like leaving your most prized possession in with somebody that you know you don't really know too well at that point so it's a lot you're dealing with a lot of emotions and all of that's running through your head and then you're trying to focus on on your work at the same time and being something to your work colleagues and your clients and candidates but then also like your heart is elsewhere so that was Mm. tricky really tricky did you feel guilty yeah of course mum guilt is the worst (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> feel guilty what, what did that feel what did you feel guilt really what, what yeah. did you feel guilty for oh, just that I wasn't with her you know and I wanted to be with her mm. and ultimately I know why I'm working and I really enjoy work and people would say to me oh but you know you get to have a coffee in peace and you get to like you know not have a nappy bag on your back <laughs> and all that stuff and I was like well I, that's I really like I like all that you know so <laughs> it's, it's just you know it takes a while to find that balance and it's something that I'm mm really passionate about like you can see it in return to work parents you can see it in their faces when they're coming into an office and their heads elsewhere their hearts elsewhere like it's mm. it's a very vulnerable time so yeah it needs to be acknowledged and supported and I was lucky enough I was in a in an office and in a company that really did support that but it is a very tricky time to navigate mm. yeah like I'll just be curious to understand how you think Recruitment companies can intentionally create an environment where it does make people returning parents feel like the way that you felt like, because that's amazing that you felt that way. But a lot of people like don't end up feeling that way, right? Either, you know, from some of the conversations that I've had, it could be leading up to letting them know that you want to go on maternity and you've got your first child on the way, like, and to then, I don't know, almost feel like, okay, well, she's, done then like probably not going to come back or be as successful as she was now so like straight away things are being made difficult for them and then likewise when they're coming back like I think ages ago I did a whole week on women in recruitment and there was some real you know horror stories for women who were returning to work and they had their contract book just given to someone else and shit like that so you know how do you think people can be better at making is it anything that you found because I'm sure you advise this to you know in your world particularly if a lot of the recruitment companies are being run by men where you know we're we some can not be aware of like what could help people do you know what I mean because we're not going to truly go through that and really maybe truly experience the things that you feel or it'll be different so is there anything that you found yourself consistently advising people on to make that environment hopefully then conducive with you know, having returning parents say, you know what, actually they were really great and they were supportive. A real quick one from me and we'll get straight back into the conversation. Some of you may or may not be aware that I'm also the founder of a business called Hector. Hector is an all-in-one training platform for recruitment founders to maximize team performance. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is because if you are someone that is enjoying this podcast week after week, you might even share this podcast with your colleagues, then I'd love to connect with you. Our training platform is powered by top performers delivering practical training for today's market. We believe training a lot of the time in the recruitment industry is dated, is stale, is delivered by people that did it 5, 10, 15 years ago. And we are completely going against that. So a lot of the people that you're able to learn on this podcast, you're able to learn even more from at Hector. 
So if you'd love to, you know, find out more about how we could potentially help you get more out of your people, ramp up their performance more quickly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn or click the link in the show notes where you'll be able to book a call with us. Let's get straight back into the episode. Yeah, there's a number of things actually. Like uh, you hear quite often about businesses who, when somebody's on maternity leave, they'll have like keeping in touch days. So they're Mm. like, you know, I think they're called kit days in the UK, certainly that you can take them or leave them. I actually probably think I probably wouldn't have wanted them. (laughs) You know, I was quite happy to just have my head down and and being a mum. I I love it. But for those big kind of like days or offsites or like big kind of team announcements and things like that, you know, the employee, the parent is asked to come in if they'd like to and they're paid for those keeping in touch days, like things like that's mm. a really great initiative to offer just to at least offer somebody that's you know on maternity leave to just prove that they haven't been forgotten about like they're still important to the business like I think that's imperative as well and then also you know like just you know we have I had orientation with my little girl going into daycare it's almost like you you kind of need that coming back into the workforce <laughs> as well you know yeah. like is is a stark reality when you work, walk in that door and you're like oh my god I've got to be here for like you know seven eight hours or whatever it is so I think orientation day is like easing yourself back in I know Ryan because I've come back when I joined creative natives I was off the back of my second maternity leave and Mm. Ryan had said to me my director here like you know come back in one day a week if that's easier for you like ease yourself back in it doesn't need to be like all straight in for you know your whole kind of weekly load I think that's really important and then also just having like a like a setup and I know this isn't always going to like work for some companies but like for example, here in our office, we've got like a, a baby changing room and somewhere you can go on express if you're still breastfeeding and mm. like storage for milk and things like that. It's really important. It just makes you feel like you're actually acknowledged. Like, you know, I mm. came back and I was still breastfeeding. That stuff's really important. That was really important to me. That's amazing. Because they're the things that guys wouldn't fucking think about. That's no, just the truth of it. No, of course not. Of course not. And I was terrified. I was terrified someone was just going to like, use my breast milk in their cup of coffee so I was yeah. like <laughs> imagine <laughs> imagine wow oh, some Sally Hill hipster around oh, here that'd be a crazy a story around like yeah I just you know oh can you make me a tea and it's like yeah I'll use this milk I was hoping that's all right but <laughs> but that's that's awesome yeah it's like those types of things right yeah yeah they're really good initiatives mm. and then also just like you know having colleagues that understand you know whether they're like parents themselves and you know they can see it in your face when you might need to take a break or have a walk around the block and then mm. equally you know colleagues that maybe don't have children or don't have a family just to be like do you know what I'm you know I'm gonna take that person out for a coffee or for a wine or something like that mm. just to kind of like have a general chat with them because you know you just don't know to you know what a daily struggle is like for, for somebody just coming straight back mm. into a business after having a baby so yeah as you said you you went through you know you then brought another human being into the world yes family of four mm-hmm. what did you do maybe different like is there anything that maybe you approach a bit differently because you know I mean when we have children hopefully like the first time you're gonna be like what the fuck is going on like, I have no <laughs> clue what we're doing and then I feel like the second time you may not feel like an expert be like right there's some this is common ground we've been here before so like the second time round, was there anything you did differently that you've you know found maybe helped that you didn't think of the first time? Whether that be you know leading up to going on to maternity leave, whether it be returning back? Yeah, yeah. I think well, obviously I returned like leading up to my maternity leave. I actually it was like right bang in the middle of like just be- when COVID had happened. So for me, I was mm. working from home anyway, and I obviously then realised that flexibility wise, I could actually achieve quite a lot. So for me, coming mm. back into a role, I knew that I probably needed more flexibility for my family like I think I was doing three days a week in the office and one from 
home when I first went back after my first child. And then now I do like one and a half days at home, two in the office, but it's very flexible. I could do less than that if I wanted. And I, you know, I guess coming back, I was probably a lot kinder to myself and recognized those signs when I was starting to feel concerned or anxious and needed to kind of like, you know, check in and, and check that the children were okay and give myself like a bit of a break if I was like feeling like I was anxious or rushing to one appointment to another. You know, it's just I think it's a mindset thing as well and just feeling supported in that mindset, which I ultimately do. And how would you compare Charlotte and the energy that you put into your career and how you approach work compared to then Charlotte, who's also a mum but is also, you know, building and growing her career? Like what what would you say are the main differences? Yeah, I think, well, my priority, like I'm, my priorities have completely changed. You know, I'm, as I said to you before, I'm doing it for my family now. So it's, it's almost made me up my game, you know, and I was never not competitive with myself in the first place. But I think, you know, that's probably <laughs> made me even more so. But I, and again, from like a boundaries point of view, you know, I am very strict with my boundaries. I think we talked about, you know, I don't work on Fridays, but I, you know, I will check my emails and, and things like that occasionally. But the Charlotte of old would have just worked till late, you know, checked her emails, been up at the crack of dawn, checking them as well, not being very present. Whereas I'm fine that I have to be very present. I'm present in my work life and I'm present when I'm at home with the family too. Mm. And I guess just final thing then, did you have like a community of other women that had been on a similar journey? Was that helpful? Have you sort of then ended up finding that, building that for yourself? How important is that? Yeah, no, it is. And and I have friends obviously outside of work that were on my kind of like parental leave journey with me. And then I've also got a couple of really good friends within Creative Natives that are Lils, who I work with here is um, return to work parent. In fact, our, our children are very similar ages. So we oh, lean amazing. on each other tremendously. You know, we get into the office in the morning and have kind of mum chat, which poor Holly has to deal yeah. with. But then we get that out of the way, you know, and, and we can constantly keep checking in with each other through the day and, and things like that. It's really important to have that community. Like, you know, I, I don't I'm from the UK but I don't have we don't have our family here so for for mm. me finding that community whether that be external or internal to work is really important love that well look Charlotte look honestly thank you so much for sharing with that I know that'd be helpful for so many people like why I always try and encourage people like yourself to come on the podcast is because there'll be a lot of people listening to this that don't have role models and people to point to in their business to say, oh, I can build a successful recruitment career whilst also building a family, which is really important to me. I think the more people, you know, who can point at that and have more evidence to go, no, that is possible, the better I feel, or at least hopefully it might make people feel less anxious about it and less worried about it. Because, you know, I don't think it, it's very, it must be really tough to feel like, because I have these conversations with my partner where it's like, it's like career or like family or it's like when I do then choose the fam like when I'm building a family it's like yeah career's over for like however many years so yeah I want to say yeah kudos to you thank you so much for you know sharing your journeys of that as well as you know the wisdom on you know the retained and and how you've continued to get better as, as a recruiter but thank you so much for, for joining me on the pod you're welcome thanks so much for having me Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope there were plenty of golden nuggets for you to take away. As you'll know, I'm your host here of the Recruitment Mentors podcast, but I'm also the founder of Recruitment Mentors. We're a online subscription-based learning and education platform. We're on a mission to help thousands of recruiters achieve their professional goals and successfully progress their careers through modern and engaging online learning. 
much. If you're a recruitment business owner listening to this, there's a good chance that you value self-development, personal development. You're trying to develop a culture of continuous improvement. But we've partnered with a number of grown recruitment companies who were struggling to understand how they can invest more in their people, how they can upskill them more quickly without spending more time, without having to spend thousands of pounds of external trainers. And we've ended up being a really great fit, modern fit for recruitment teams. We can ultimately help you get more out of your teams by giving your people access to modern and engaging online learning, which they can access on demand. The thing that's really cool about what we're doing at Recruitment Mentors is that all of the people that your teams are able to learn from and the people that are delivering the learning content are people that are in role right now. They're billing, they're actively facing the challenges that your teams are, and a lot of the time they're amongst the top performers within their companies, which means your teams are going to be way more confident to learn and spend time on their learning when they know they're learning from people that are doing it right now, have been there and done it. There's nothing worse than feeling like training is not relevant and not current. The best place to find out more about Recruitment Mentors and if we can help you accelerate your team's performance is uh, send me a message on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn directly, and I'd love to connect with you and, and find out if we can help you get more out of your people.